the reason that I did most of the things that I did till I was 21 when I was graduating college was because someone else told me to and I was the kind of person who was like if people are saying it's good I need to do it and I went into IIT because not because I wanted to go to IIT because people said if you're good at math you need to go to IIT. None of it was because I wanted to do anything. I didn't have a good reason for any of those things. I had that sort of almost quarter-life crisis to say, okay, I need to figure out who I am. I have no idea who I am. I've only been someone who other people have told me to be. So I think it is the crisis of saying, okay, you know, I need to, it's, I'm 21. I need to have a, you know, I need to figure out who I am. I need to have a personality and an opinion and figure out what are the things that are exciting, what I like and what I don't like. And, and it, it triggered because uh, college was ending and I had to actually get into the job and I was like, do I want to do this? And I, I realized I didn't want it. So it is a lot of soul searching about figuring out what are the times in my life when I was actually happy and what are the times, what are the things that I want to explore to find a new direction rather than the old 10-year plan. So almost scrapping it away and you know deleting it and then starting, the, starting a new. I realized that was the time that I really felt that I was sort of contributing to something, I was doing something, I was, you know, making a difference and I was getting excited. So I started reading a lot about that. I thought that that's something you did as a, as a volunteer work or a hobby or, you know, on the weekends. Then I, then I started reading a lot of books about it and I realized that this whole world called social enterprise world and you can make a business out of it and you can do, you know, uh, you can build a company and do good and all of those things. And I said, okay, I need to figure this out and I need to get into the sector. The main question that you want to answer at 21 is what do I want to be doing day to day for the next five years? Hey everybody, what's good? Welcome back to the Next Move podcast. And if this is your first time on the show, we're a podcast that shares strategies, stories, and tools behind people who are making an impact in their field. And today on the podcast, I have Kaushik, who is a co-founder of Kathy, which is a non-for-profit, amazing social enterprise that is helping farmers of India. And essentially how they do it is they build green homes, which is a structure for farmers to farm in, which makes them much more productive and effective throughout the year because that structure prevents the bad weather from affecting their crop as well as you know nasty pests getting in and ruining crop as well. So it makes them more productive, which makes them more profitable. And they, the, the work they're doing is incredible and their reach is truly incredible. And honestly, this might be the most action-packed podcast and takeaway-driven podcast that I've ever recorded. We dove deep into Kaushik's story and how when he was 21 years old and had no clue what he wanted to do with his life, he realized that he had just been following other people's expectations and truly had no personality of his own. And he was graduating IIT and the world is in front of you when you graduate IIT. You have incredible job offers with huge salaries from investment banks, which he did, but he realized I don't want to do this. It's it's not something that appeals to me. And we dove deep into the process of the questions he asked himself and what exactly he did to realize that actually, you know, he's built for a, so, a life of social work. And you're going to want to tune into that part because he, he goes deep into what exactly do you need to do when you're at that crossroads. So if you're at a place where you're, you're not sure what you want to do, that section is definitely for you. And we also dove into this part of his story where he lived in rural India, where he worked for a social enterprise for five years. He lived in the most remote parts of India. 
he lived the same way they did. And he talked about what a wonderful experience it was. In the, when you're actually in it, it's tough. He was handing out flyers. You know, he could have been an investment banker, but he was handing out flyers for people to um, join his social enterprise. So the challenge of going through that is really tough. But looking back, he views it as one of the most important things in his life. You know, he was handing out flyers and children were taking those flyers and throwing them away. And he was trying to help out people. And to get that kind of re rejection and to live in such, you know, bad conditions at an early age really taught him and really validated what he wanted to do with his life. And a lot of us may look at it as, you know, this is beneath me or I, I can't do this. But his experience has humbled him and, and really helped him out in his future. So we talked about exactly how and why it's important to join these type of social enterprises for anybody just to get that experience. So if you're looking to do that, again, that section, which will be in the show notes where you can just click to that time in the podcast is going to be really, really helpful for you. And last but not least, we talked about his productivity habits. Um, you know, to run such a great social enterprise, a social startup, takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of hours because there's so much to do. And we talked about how Kaushik has been able to optimize his time. He used to work 90 hour weeks every single week, but he found he wasn't consistent. He would have to miss days because he'd get burned out. He'd have to miss days because he was sick. But he has shifted his focus from amount of time spent doing work to what is he doing with that time. So his 90 hour weeks have gone to 50. And from that, he's been able to learn how to delegate. He's been learn he's learning how to be consistent. He's always there when the organization needs him. He talks about meditation and his exact process in meditation and how all of these practices of reducing his time is time spent working. And last but not least, we talked about productivity habits as we always do. But Kaushik's story in particular is incredible because as a social entrepreneur, sometimes you just have to work 90 hour weeks. And he was doing that seven days a week, several hours a day, he was dedicating to his work. But he realized, man, I keep getting burned out. And I, he had to take a few days off every once in a while because he was so burned out and he had to completely get out from work. But what he realized was, hey, if you actually restrict your time frame to let's say 50 hour weeks, which he does now, you can increase your productivity so much more because you have to learn how to delegate. You have to learn how to do the things that actually make an impact and move your business forward. And now he's gotten into so many very healthy habits like meditation and we dive deep into his practice and how exactly it has helped him and he's exercising. So that shift from 90 hour weeks to 50 and focusing on what actually matters has played a huge impact in them growing capable. And like I said, this is one of the most action-packed podcasts that I've ever done. I truly took so much away from it. Whether you're looking to be a social entrepreneur or not, I guarantee you're gonna take so much away from this conversation. So make sure to stay through right to the end because there's so many gems in this one. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Hey, Kaushik, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Arman. Thank you for having me. Of course. And by the way, I, like I said in our pre-conversation to this recording, you have the best background of any guest that has ever come <laughs> on this show. 
it is lucky. It's lucky to have this in a Zoom here. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, so I want to get started into it. You know, if all everybody listening would have heard what Katie does and what you do in the, in the introduction, but I want to kind of ask about your story before we get into it. And one of the major things that I heard and I've read is that you went to IIT, which is an incredibly hard school to get into, incredibly hard school to pass through. And then the benefit of it is that the world or India, especially is kind of your oyster. You have multiple options. You can do so many things. And what interested me the most is that you had this initial 10 year plan, an Excel sheet with so many things that you wanted to do and that you were going to do. Can you, can you tell us what was on that 10 year plan once you graduated? Yeah, I mean, it is not really a, you know, very exciting Excel sheet. It's, it, when I look back at it, it's quite boring, right? It, and most people, uh, the sad thing about the IITs is that it's, it's uh, uh, you know, I mean, uh, people like me and all of my colleagues, uh, all of my, you know, uh, friends from there went into there because we had a passion for math or physics or chemistry, right? You know, because you wanted to do something in the sciences, apply it and do something. But all of us, when you go through it, at the end of it, 80% of the class doesn't want to be in engineering or, you know, any kind of uh, science. So everybody's looking for that consulting or investment banking job. So that's, that's exactly what that 10 year plan was, which is, okay, you know, um, do this for four years, uh, get, do an MBA, you know, go up the ladder, 10 years, move to the US and probably, you know, uh, 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 retire early. So something like that was, the, was, was what that Excel sheet was like. So I had a couple of offers from an investment banking job and a consulting job. So it was quite run of the mill. If you look at most of my, you know, sort of peers, but it was um, the only thing was that probably I was the most obsessed about saying uh, about going up the uh, traditional corporate career path uh, than most people who are just getting getting into a job. So um, that, that's very interesting given what you do now, but why were you so interested in going up that career path? What were your goals at the time? Yeah, uh, actually, you know, this is sort of related to why I got into it. it, it the most, the reason that I did most of the things that I did till I was, 21 when I was graduating college was because someone else told me to and I was the kind of person who was like if people are saying it's good I need to do it and I went into IIT because not because I wanted to go to IIT because people said if you're good at math you need to go to IIT and uh, in IIT I you know did all the courses or the side things to get into consulting or investment banking because everybody said that's the thing you need to do so it was just sort of an obsession with uh, what was uh, known as the, you know, as, as the sort of successful thing to do. Um, so, and that's sort of the reason why when I really um, started thinking about why I was wanting to do all the things, the same question that you asked me right now, I asked myself, and I saw all the holes in it, right? And I, none of it was because I wanted to do anything. I didn't have a good reason for any of those things. And that's when I had, you know, I, I had sort of had that sort of almost quarter life crisis to say, okay, I need to figure out who I am. I have no idea who I am. I've only been someone who other people have told me to be. I think, I think all of us kind of have that path, right? You know, you go to college because everybody says you go to college and you try to get into a competitive college because that apparently will set you up for life better. And you never, and especially as a kid, you don't really take the time to think like, why am I doing all the things that I'm doing? And does it, does it make a difference to me? And, and you mentioned this, this quarter life crisis. So I'm assuming, yeah, around 20, between 20 and 25, what did this crisis consist of? And, and what kind of questions were you asking yourself at this point? Yeah. So, um, so the, the crisis was around asking this question of why am I doing anything that I'm doing? And, and, 
it was around this realization that um, I didn't have an opinion or personality of my own, basically. And, and this is sort of related to, uh, you know, the whole process of uh, in the engineering rat race in India, right? The reason when I went to IIT, I basically didn't have a, a sort of an opinion or personality anymore because I'd just done the studying and studying for so long. I was like, I don't know what it is. So I just copied whatever people were thinking was the right thing. So I remember some of my friends used to call me, uh, I forgot the nickname, but something, someone who copies every, like I would have six months and I'd be like, I'm, I'm into stocks right now because everybody's into stocks. I'm into stocks right now. So I think it was the crisis of saying, okay, you know, I need to, it's, I'm 21. I need to have a, you know, I need to figure out who I am and I need to have a personality and an opinion and figure out what are the things that are exciting, what I like and what I don't like. And, and it, it triggered because uh, college was ending and I had to actually get into the job. And I was like, do I want to do this? And I, I realized I didn't want to. So it is a lot of soul searching about figuring out what are the times in my life when I was actually happy and what are the times, what are the things that I want to explore to find a new direction rather than the old 10 year plan. So almost scrapping it away and, you know, deleting it and then starting, the, starting a new. So there will be a lot of people listening to this who, you know, because a lot of the demographic listening to this podcast is between the ages of 18 and 26, 27. So they'll be asking themselves the exact same questions because I think everybody graduating asks these questions. But I got to ask, so you had this crisis. Did you accept any jobs and did you start or what did you do? Yeah, uh, no, I didn't. So basically... I had I'd, I got offers, but uh, I didn't sort of join any jobs because I had a lot of this in my last probably couple of semesters in college. And so I did get the chance to do a lot of thinking and I got to do the other side of the crisis, right? And um, a lot of, when I started thinking about, uh, you know, what is the kind of stuff that I wanted, that I like and I want to do, I really couldn't find, uh, you know, a lot except for uh, during my summers, I used to sometimes volunteer at NGOs. And you know, and do some, you know, training for, uh, you know, um, you know, under, uh, underprivileged kids or orphan kids. And I did a few of these ongoing things just in, a, uh, just as a thing, because my dad told me to, but I realized that was the time that I really felt that I was sort of contributing to something. I was doing something. I was, you know, making a difference and I was getting excited. So I started reading a lot about that. I thought that that's something you did as a, as a volunteer work on the hobby as a, you know, on, on the weekends. Then I, then I started reading a lot of books about it and I realized that this whole world called social enterprise world and you can make a business out of it and you can do, you know, uh, you can build a company and do good and all of those things. And I said, okay, I need to figure this out and I need to get into the sector. I actually, my first job was going to be, I don't know if you've heard of it, the Teach for India Fellowship. They had come to India for the first time. So I was selected for the first batch of the Teach for India Fellowship, but I couldn't join because the start date was before my college ended and they, could, and, and they didn't let me. So so, so, so basically I left college without a job, without a plan and just, you know, said that, okay, I'll go to the field and figure out what's happening. Okay. So this again is, I love this impulsive decision. Again, so many people crave this impulsive decision, but never do it. What, what was your mindset at the time? Um, because, you know, I'm not sure what, what was the family situation? What did they say? What did your friends say? What did you think about, you know, all my peers are going to earn all of this money and do these lucrative job offers. And I'm just jumping on this new ship that I don't know too much about. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, my family was not happy at all for a while. I think, you know, for a, a couple of years, they were, uh, they were thinking, I mean, as I would probably think to a 21 year old that I was going through a phase, right? And, uh, uh, and my friends also thought I was going through a phase. But the truth of it was that 
uh, when you actually spend time uh, self you know and self awareness you get much more stronger about that you know of the choice that you made it wasn't really impulsive at all actually if i look at it if i did it like 6 months before that it would have been impulsive but the 6 months before ending college i did a lot of thinking i talked to talk to some people like you know uh, talked to some people on the phone i tried to understand all what is happening i read a lot so i knew that uh, the thought process i had was that it's it was sort of a safe bet i would say that two years i will work on it i will understand what's happening figure out if this is something that i want to do and if not i can always you know find a consulting job at the end of it right you know so it was it didn't feel impulsive at the time i think for others it felt impulsive so i would uh, i would say the only thing that helped was uh, was spending enough time thinking through it so that it felt like i'm i'm a, i'm a planner so i like to write things down so i wasn't you know uh, impulsive in that sense at all like i had so many you know pages of notes of saying the pros and cons and what i want to do what like what like do at the end of two years all of that was there So I I really want to pause here and I want to ask um so you're doing all these pros and cons list I want to dive deep into exactly what it looked like because somebody again maybe in this exact moment you're in so if you could go back and tell yourself and maybe even optimize on what you did what advice would you give to a person or yourself in that moment and what do you think that they should do in terms of their plan to get ready Yeah I think um I mean uh, jumping into tactics here I think one exercise everybody should do when you're uh, young is it's a little bit morbid but write your own obituary so uh, I did this exercise during that time but you know uh, I think assume you are a, you know you're whatever time in your life and you know you're a journalist writing about you having died what would you want them to say when you write that down right uh, and 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 really iterate it a few times because the first time you write you know a famous you know i don't know if you, some people write famous rich all of those things but then you ask you know which of those statements is giving you joy that somebody said that about you and you know um and and you you start to realize and you won't do all of those things you know when you're 21 but you'll find some things which give you the most joy which are the most doable and i mean people use this um, you know um, the ikigai uh, which is the which is the sort of intersection of what can you get paid for what is feasible and what are you good at and all of those things right so you can use different frameworks after that but i think the overall theme i would say is spend enough time in using different you know uh, ways to identify what is uh, you know what gives you joy in terms of your career right you know obviously the other things also you know are included and what doesn't and uh, uh, in and, and sort of separating the uh, things that are in your mind because of the external world and the things that are there because you just like them and uh, so i think spending enough time with that is what i would say and one exercise is writing your own obituary um uh, you know there's i mean the key guy is another you know sort of exercise to do that people do uh, but i would say a lot of writing you know i mean reflecting writing some people reflect by just you know maybe thinking about it but reflecting i would say is the most important part of all of this and some people can reflect you know talking to others and asking you know others what they feel so a lot of research and reflecting is what i would say is what really helps you clarify it's not about your um and one of my mentors uh, you know uh, in the social sector he he likes to say this it's it's not about people i like to ask you know okay wh- where do i want to be in 10 years it's not really the that's an important question but it's not, not not the most important question the main question that you want to answer at 21 is what do you want to be doing day to day for the next 5 years because that is what will keep your motivation up not really the 10 year it's more, more about how do you want your day to day to look like so i think that's another question to ask Okay, I I have two questions here. One, 
what was on your obituary and two, um, in terms of listening to people and having conversations, right? A lot of people, a lot of loved ones, like you would have talked to your family and they would have said, no, like you said, a lot of times out of care, people will say, no, stick to the traditional, right? Stay this, you will be stable, you can have a family, you can have a good job, you know, life will be easy. So how do you listen to people, but not listen to them and take what you need? And the first question is what was on your obituary? Yeah, so I think, uh, um, uh, so there's, so when I was writing my obituary, it was about, um, well, there were some specifics about, I, I built, you know, this companies and education and agriculture and healthcare and different kinds of things. But I think one theme that really I took away from that is, which remains true to this day, is that I want to be someone who builds, who solves problems, but big problems, but also builds models which are, you know, replicated by others. So, you know, that's something that I have, that went there because when I thought about it's when I went to the second level of saying, I build these companies, but you know, there was a lot of peace there about I, my thing, my work influenced other people to do the same thing, or, you know, um, uh, it influenced other young people to join the organization. So a lot of those, a lot of the drivers that I found out for myself is, uh, it's almost like building these machines, which, you know, multiply solving a problem. So you obviously have to solve a problem, but it's not just about solving one problem yourself, but how do you build things which can be replicated by others? So I think that's sort of a big theme that came out here. I also had some things there about, uh, you know, my personality. I remember, you know, because I was, a, I was an angry kid. So I said, uh, I said, you know, he's, he was someone who really uh, trained, uh, you know, being, you know, meditation on meditation and things like that. I don't know what it was, but I think it was an aspirational sort of personality trait as well that I had at the end of uh, my life. I don't know when I, when I determined that I did. I think maybe it was my 70s. Uh, at 20, it seems like 70 is very far away. <laughs> so do you meditate? I do now. I do now. Yeah. So uh, thankfully I do. So this, uh, this last couple of years, I've been doing that regularly. And what, what is that? What does that look like? I, sorry to go. I still have the second question of, of how do you listen to people and not listen to people? But I, I'm very interested in meditation. Uh, what does your practice look like? Is it daily? You know, how long do you do it? And, and what is the benefit that you've seen from it? Yeah, so it's daily. So I use, uh, you know, an app called Headspace. Uh, but I, I do 30 minutes in the morning, but I do like, uh, you know, a few smaller sessions during the day. And uh, uh, for me, what was, it was most helpful is, is um, primarily it's about being present is, is the focus that I have is that, you know, is I, I and, and in terms of the outcome, the biggest help that it's had for me is that I'm, I used to be a very high stress person all the time. And, you know, uh, it is because I would, and again, it was related to not being present because I would think about Ten things all the time, and then it would it would add to my stress. I was thinking about the future, the past, and what is happening today, and ten things that need to get done. And my main practice, even now, and it's a work in progress. It never happens, you know, uh, overnight or even in two years. Is is focusing on the here and now. So right now, I'm uh, a year ago. If you met me, I would be worrying in my head about, you know, that proposal needs to go out. You know, uh, this uh, this deal needs to be closed, and this needs to be done. But now I'm like, that's that's for tomorrow, and I try to focus on that. So that's basically my focus for meditation. So, okay, I get that. Meditation keeps you where you are and keeps you focused. What, what has that done for you? Because I'm, I'm kind of in the place where you said you weren't before. I used to be, I mean, I still am. When we're doing a podcast or when I'm doing something else, it's like, 
oh, but this has to happen. This has to happen. I got to do this, blah, blah. And it, it takes you away. And for me, I find the quality reduces. What, what, what was it hindering you by not being present? And, and how, how is it specifically helping you out now? Yeah, oh gosh, so many things. I mean, you know, my stress basically came out in so many ways. I think one was in terms of obviously, uh, you know, work-life balance. I was not spending time with family or, you know, or people that I wanted to spend time with. I was also, you know, I would bring that home. Like, you know, I would be irritable at family. I, even at work, I had a problem. Like I used to be known as the, you know, guy in, in the office was like, you know, if, if he's really stressed out, don't really go and tell him bad news because he'll, you know, he'll explode or, you know, he'll basically get irritated or shout at you. I mean, all of those were all negative things which are not basically taking me on my trajectory. And all of those definitely have gotten better, but, you know, um, it's a work in progress. But so I think that's the reason, that's what pushed me, I guess, because I saw my peers, my co-founders and my, you know, people telling me that you need to fix this. Like, you know, the, I, we know where you're coming from, but I think this is high time that you need to fix it. Even health, I guess, I really neglected my health and, you know, um, and drank a lot of coffee, which just increased the stress, you know, and all of that, you know, uh, is, is in a better place uh, through meditation. And you know what I noticed too, actually, even while I'm doing it and while I'm stressing, you, you're costing yourself energy against what you actually want to achieve, right? So if I'm stressed about what's happening tomorrow or what's happening in an hour, the energy that I'm outputting in this conversation is going to be drastically impaired. And this is the thing that I'm most focused on, right? So I think that energy conservation thing is why I want to push more into meditation. I'm very um, not consistent with it. So again, sorry, another question about meditation is what have you done to make sure you're consistent with it? Because 30 minutes a day is a long time. So, um, I mean, it, the first piece is to remove the burden of the consistency is what I've learned for myself. When I was worrying about being consistent, it was another thing. Like it was another thing which is adding to the you know, whole host of things that I needed to do. Like habit formation, the problem for me is that if I, if I start, I've, I've realized for myself is that if I want to be consistent, it's always going to be a thing. If it's all about, um, if you, it's, it's all about the narrative. So if your narrative is like, I'm a person who meditates, sure, you missed three days, so you meditate again. So you don't worry about the three days that you missed, but you meditate again. And if you do it enough, then you become, you know, one part of it is that it becomes more natural because you'll think about it more. Like, because meditation, you can do 10 minutes in your commute. You can do it 10 minutes, I know, after this podcast. All of it, There's so many options to do this, right? But I just remove that burden of saying I need to have a streak because when I put that, then I, you know, it, it adds to my stress is what I've found. The other thing is, which is overall related to habit formation that I have realized over the last couple of years is just that it's all about, uh, you know, um, sort of the keystone, I mean, or the cornerstone habit, like, you know, which is one uh, thing that will make you do other things. Like, you know, um, so uh, for example, for me, it, I wanted to, you know, last year, let's say I wanted to exercise, I wanted to meditate, I wanted to learn some new thing every day and I would have work-life balance. And it was always a struggle to say, I need to do all of them and I ne would never do them. Then I realized the only thing that I need, I wanted to focus on, I removed all of these and didn't put the pressure of that. I said, I need to, you know, wake up at 6.30, right? You know, and so which was sort of the cornerstone habit for me because if I wake up, I do something. And, and that something first became exercise and then that something then became exercise plus meditation. And then now it's trying to be exercise with meditation plus learning something new every day. So 
I would say it's a focus on one thing rather than five habits because most of the times I used to be like, you know, New Year resolution, 10 things, and then those 10 things never get done and then you become a whole mishmash and I leave all of them. Wow, that, that's, that's very true, the 630 thing. And um, I, I really like the idea of, of learning something new every day. Uh, sorry, I, I'm very like, my mindset is very, I'll go here and I'll come back. Uh, so we're going to get back to your story for sure. But when you learn something new every single day, and, and then you said you can miss three days, but you're the kind of person who does learn something often. So what are you doing? Are you reading a book? Are you uh, listening to a podcast? How are you making sure you're learning? Yeah, the, the latest thing that I've, you know, I've, re, I've been really liking is, is doing online courses. So, um, mm. so Udemy, Coursera, so, which just gives a routine because you can do it for 10 minutes if you want. And again, I, I try to like to do things which sometimes I can tick off by doing five minutes and I still feel good about it. Like, you know, you never mm. feel bad by doing, you know, by learning something new for five minutes. So, uh, so th that's why I like that. But, but it's, you know, I, I did, I did also, I had in between sort of a focus on um, reading a book or, you know, uh, uh, reading, we're doing a podcast podcast I had a commute and we used to go to the field all the time then it worked the best right so but now there's no there's the much lesser commute and I don't go to the field as often so um so I like these the, the you know online courses and and for me learning something new sometimes is not about actual applying it so I'm, I'm these days you know um uh, uh learning to code I'm learning to singing so uh, all of those are unrelated to work but I it just keeps your mind going and it makes you feel good Wow, how's your singing doing? Um, it's doing okay. I used to be, so all of college, uh, other than my quarter life crisis, I, the only thing that I did was, uh, I used to sing in the rock band in college. We had a heavy metal band and I never went to class and I just did that. So after 10 years, it's good to sort of take it up again. Whoa, dude, is it ACDC? Is it, uh, who, who are you playing? I, I mean, I'm not doing that now, but in college, uh, it used to be, we used to play a lot of Iron Maiden and uh, Megadeth and Metallica and all of that. Yeah. Megadeth. I love it. I love it. Um, so I, thank you so much for that. You know, I love productivity and habits. And later in this podcast, we're getting into time off because you mentioned that and work-life balance. I want to get into, back to my initial question was, which was, when you are listening to so many thoughts, right? You're, and for everybody listening, we're back at Kaushik at 21 years old. He wants to do this thing, but, and there's so many people telling him different things. How do you know what nuggets to, of information to take and what, what to give off? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a tough one. And, and uh, because I've been in uh, you know, times in my life where I've um, over-relied on that and under-relied on that, both of those. I, sounding words are always good in general, but if we as humans are bad at taking the right advice, I would say one thing is definitely if you have someone in your life who is, um, I mean, I wouldn't use the word trained, but at least, you know, sort of aware of how to give advice and how to give advice is, is basically you listen the most, right? You know, people who give, give advice by listening to you the most are the ones that are the best advice givers. All of us have someone in our lives, whether it's a mentor or a friend or, a, you know, a, a, or, you know, a significant other who we know, uh, I mean, listens more than talks. And those are the people who will give you the best advice. So I try to at least focus on those people. And, you know, I mean, uh, uh, and, you know, or, or the other way around, if you're talking, you know, if, if there are people who just gave you information, the way that you should approach it is ask the right question. The question is not, should I be doing this? The question is, uh, you know, maybe uh, reactions around specific question problems that you're facing. For example, when I was I can think of one, like when I was, you know, considering this, I had this question, right, which is, 
uh, this fear that everybody has that, uh, you know, if I get into this, will I never have my career path again, right? So I asked a few seniors a specific question. I didn't ask them about anything as what I'm doing. I said, you know, if I if, if two years after, uh, you know, college, if I applied to your, you know, um, uh, sort of uh, your um, company, do you, what chance do you think I have? Like, is it more or less than what I have right now? And they said, it's not significantly different, right? So that's, the, that's like a specific question, like where maybe they can talk about what is the success, what are the people who are maybe specifically, how, what are the people who joined, you know, who are not straight out of college? And so which helps me answer specific things in my mind. So breaking it down into questions sometimes helps. And otherwise, I would, if you're asking general advice, I would focus on the people who listen, rather, you know, listen and, you know, uh, give reactions rather than talk more. I, I love that. It, basically, it's whatever doubts that you have in your head, put them into questions and then reach out to actual people who would be the decision makers in that situation. That's, that's really, really interesting. So that, that is just getting back to it. That's, that's really, really interesting. Now, let's get back to you've made the decision. Two years seem to have turned into a, a lifetime thing. Can you, can you kind of go into the story from there? So you went the two years, how did it go? How did it affect you? And why has it turned into such a long-term thing? Yeah, so uh, when I got out of college, I didn't really know where to start because the first plan that I had to do a two-year fellowship didn't work out. So uh, I started, again, continuing my research and reading. And I happenstance uh, met this person called Vijay Mahajan, who's uh, one of the founders of a company called Basics and then an NGO called Pradhan before that. So he's one of the you know, veterans of, uh, you know, the social sector in India. And I didn't know uh, too much about him, but I met him at a conference and he sort of became my mentor over the years. And one thing I would definitely say is anybody get, wanting to get into a new sector, uh, especially at the college level, find, you know, um, I mean, do that hustle to find a mentor. I, I was lucky, but because uh, people, uh, there's a lot of people who find, uh, especially for young people, find the time to spend time and you get to learn a lot there, right? So with him, with uh, uh, BM as we call him, Vijayamath and BM. So uh, I got to learn a lot because uh, the, my first few months after college was like, a, you know, it was like the Wild West. He used to call me at random times and say, tomorrow there is this village where there's an NGO doing a meeting. Why don't you go and, uh, you know, visit it and come back and tell me what you learned. And then I would randomly go. And then suddenly he will call and say, read these two books and send me a report. And then you know, I would do that for like a couple of months. And then that really helped me understand the sector to an extent. And then, you know, um, the big thing that I realized that which I would again recommend is that even if you're not in the social sector, if you're working in, a, you know, any, if you want to build any kind of uh, sort of startup is I realized that what I needed to do is apprentice with the problem. So the problem was, you know, poverty in rural India, which is a big problem. You don't really understand what is happening, but if you're a city kid who's not really understood that you need, you don't really understand the problem, right? So I want, I realized that I wanted to spend some time on the ground apprenticing with the problem or understanding the problem. So I asked him what opportunities are there. And so he was starting a new startup called Be Able. It was based in Delhi. It was, um, help, it was focused on helping rural youths who were dropping out from school get into some sort of jobs through training and placement services. So he said, it's a startup, we've not hired anyone else, you know, um, so do you want to come and work there? And I said, okay, you know, I, I'll do, do it for a few months. So I took a couple of bags and left for Delhi. And then um, that two months turned into five years. So that, that was my first sort of stint in, you know, in the social sector was working at that company, um, going from, I was the first employee to, when I left, we were about 800 employees. So there's a, there's a lot of sort of learning there. 
Whoa. And we're, I have a lot of questions about that, but just before we get there, let's talk about mentorship. You said everybody should get a mentor, especially when you're young. Now that you're probably someone you're, you're in a phase where you can probably mentor people, right? You're looking back, you can help out kids who were just like you who want to grow up. What criteria should they have when looking for a mentor and what specifically can you do to get a mentor? Because a lot of people, let's say you're extremely busy. You'll say, Hey, sorry, I'm too busy. How do you go about getting one and what should they look for in one? Yeah. I mean, tough question. So I think, uh, so I, at least when I look at, I still look for mentors. So uh, the, I'll talk about how, what I look for rather than what, you know, people should look for, uh, I mean, um, 12 years before this, but, uh, this, I think the, uh, the biggest uh, requirement in, uh, the, in a good mentor is time. So, you know, um, the value of a mentorship comes from the amount of headspace they spend about you. And so if there, there's some people who are, productivity ninjas who even if they're running a very, uh, you know, fast growing startup are still going to, you know, spend, you know, maybe, you know, a couple of hours a week with you. But mostly this happens if people are sort of past that stage, right? If they're sort of, you know, finding the people, even if they're not super successful, I mean, you don't need to always find the Jeff Bezos, right? You know I mean? But uh, if, they, if, they're, if they're people who are experienced who are now at a stage where maybe they've exited a company, maybe they are looking at the next venture, maybe they are retired, I think time is the most important thing that you can ask for because most of mentorship is about understanding who you are and that really takes time. And mentorship is not just about giving, okay, I've done 10 things. It's about saying, okay, what do you need? Like maybe this, at this point of time in your life, maybe you need counseling on leadership. Maybe the other point of time in your life, maybe you need counseling on, you know, deciding what you want to do next in life. Maybe it's, you know, um, you know coaching or networking, right? All of those takes time. So I would focus on finding people who would give the time to you. And for me, like the kind of people that we try to find for KT are exactly those people. It's more, so when we look at our board, our board of advisors, we're not worried about the big names. We are worried about the people who are, uh, the other piece is passionate about the problem that we're trying to solve. And then, you know, uh, and then second is they have the time to spend with us. Uh, so when I look at an individual, I would look at the same criteria. How do you get those people is, I mean, it is, it's nothing else other than, you know, one-on-one -on -one networking. Um, I mean, in another world, other than this year, I would have said, go to conferences. And that's, you know, that's, uh, that's a big place where I found most of the people who advisors and mentors that I found in my life. Uh, or it's, you know, I mean, find those um, in business school, they use this word, like Paul Rivers, the, 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 the big networkers who then, you know, become the people who can suggest those, uh, you know, mentors to you. Yeah, I, I remember reading in the tipping point about Paul Revere about he was the one who alerted all of Boston or Massachusetts about the yeah. British army coming in, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's a really interesting story. I, I want to ask another thing about mentorship. And if you can't think of it in the moment, it's fine. We can, we can move on to another thing. But can, do you have an example of where mentorship change the way you look at things or, or helped you in a situation? Yeah, I mean, you know, I definitely think some, I mean, and uh, um, I'll, I'll talk about Vijay Majan again and about even uh, sort of Katie as well. And uh, um, I think one, one good example, which I'll, I alluded to at the beginning is uh, also um, a, a good instance. Like there was this instance where I was um, completing this four years at that earlier startup, Be Able, right? 
and I was thinking about what is the next thing. And I was thinking about, do I now do a startup or, you know, do I go back to my earlier plan and saying, you know, do I, you know, go back to a sort of a corporate career and then uh, come back to do this uh, because I don't have an idea. And, you know, um, and, and, and I was in single, which is the right path? Is it the right path, you know, um, uh, you know, contributing, you know, uh, at a high, maybe, you know, at a, you know, uh, normal corporate job or even like, a, let's say a normal Bangalore tech startup, right? And then coming back and working on these big problems or is it like I should be the grassroots person who works on the ground? And he really came back and asked, asked this question. Like it said, that you're asking the wrong question. The only question to ask is, how do you want your next day, week and month and year to look like? and which would make you happy, right? So uh, that, that I think is, it sort of still drives me today. When I look at, I am, even though Katie has big goals and they, you know, and they excite me, but the most of my motivation comes from that day to day, not from the, you know, big goal. The big goal comes like, you know, which tells me like, this is the path I am on, but which comes out with being present. Like if you think about what you are doing today and it's that, you know, something that you're, you know, that you're maximizing, uh, you know, product and not productivity, but basically happiness on like, you know, that's, that's one that's what will keep you going for 20, 30 years. The big goal will keep, keep you going for five years, but in five years, people burn out because you're not fixing the day to day. And if the day to day you do too much, you know, you're not going to equip, equip yourself for that 20, 30, 40 year march. So, so do you, do you view Katie as that? Do you view it as a 20 to 30 to 40 year thing? Or do you view it as I'm in the moment now and I, I'm not thinking about 20 to 30 years yet? Katie is a hundred year thing. I mean, I, I, there's no question wow. about that. I mean, you know, uh, but, uh, but for me personally is, uh, you know, while that hundred years is that motivation factor, that's why I'm here. Right. But how do I keep, uh, pushing the and, and fighting the fight when it comes to, you know, the daily challenges, the, you know, big hurdles, the two steps forward, one step back, that is the life of a startup working in agriculture and working in the social sector. The answer comes in by me maximizing my own, you know, um, day, week, month, year, and, you know, and, and my sort of optimizing that for myself because it, it, it's what it's stay in flights, right? You know, put on your mask first before assisting others. And if you, if you don't put on your mask first, you're not running that hundred year journey. Like, you know, then somebody else is doing that hundred year journey and you're, you're burnt out in five years. So that's why I would focus on myself first, even though the hundred year journey is very exciting and that's what needs to be done. Amazing. And I'm so excited to get into the productivity and optimization stuff later. Um, but I do want to ask you, so, when you were doing this vocational school education, all this kind of setting up vocational schools, uh, were you living in rural India and were you like being where you worked? What was that experience life like? And um, more importantly, I also want to ask, uh, what did you take away from the experience? Not just, and I know it led you to the agriculture, which we're going to get into later, but what did you take away as a human after being in the midst of all that suffering and poverty and all of that yeah i mean um uh, so it was definitely a unique experience for me and i think it's something that uh, i mean every young person should go through like maybe not four or five years but maybe at least two to three years so i got to uh, live in a lot of places so i spent six months i lived in uh Deradun and you know uh worked in the villages in you know in the hills in masuri and ahead and i spent six months in you know um all of the Northeast states, but I lived, you know, uh, was based in Sikkim and then I traveled to all the Northeast states and a lot of rural areas there. I spent six months in uh, Rajasthan and, you know, I think I drove 
8,000 kilometers during that time. And I mean, you know, uh, in, you know, in my bike. And I spent a couple of months in Kashmir. Uh, so about 14 states of India. So a lot of you know, small towns to uh, work was all in villages, but a lot of small towns. And uh, it, was, it was sort of an adventure in that sense. That's what should have kept me going for a while till it was like, okay, I need to do, you know, um, something that, you know, I need to build something more, right? Uh, so my biggest experience, see, the overall learning for me was that I was a city kid, uh, you know, had no idea what India was. So one is just understanding the beauty and the diversity of India. All of these states are so different, but we're all so like um, in, you know, in our, you know, uh, in our culture, in our hospitality, in our, you know, um, in our, you know, even just helping each other out. I don't, we at the big level talk about have a lot of issues, but at the micro level, I don't think anybody would ever in any of these states, you would ever see any of those devices. Right? So I think I felt a lot of, I built a lot of strong connection and that's where, you know, um, uh, you know, I really a lot of my drive towards solving these problems comes in because these are the people that I've lived and worked with who really made me into a person from being, having zero personality to, you know, having some sort of semblance of who I am all came because of these people. So that's why I want to solve their problems. I think that's, that's where it comes in. The other thing that I, you know, so it's, 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 it's a lot, not, I don't think of it in terms of poverty and suffering. I think of it about, about these positive terms. It is like, you know, this, it's, it's a beautiful country. It's a, you know, um, there's a lot of beautiful people with a lot of beautiful intentions who are, who are in situations, who are in systems which are broken and we need to fix those systems, right? So I think that's, that's the focus there. And this, the other biggest learning which sort of drives and is one of Katie's uh, core values is that the, those people know the problem much more than, you know, any, even if I spent four years or five years and now 12 years working, you know, in rural India, I will never understand the problem as much as the people who are living the problem. Will. So the main fundamental driver for us to start KB and, you know, and even every day when we build up uh, solutions is listening to that, right? They might not know the solutions and how to bring in the solutions and implement the solutions, but if you want to understand the problem, you listen to the customer. And I don't want to use beneficiary and you know, all of those words that people use. I say it's a customer, right? Listen to the customer, the rural customer. If you listen to them more, the more you listen, the more you're successful in developing solutions. So I think that's my other big learning is that every time I have a question about, hey, should we do this? The first question is go to the field, ask the customer, you know, understand what they're, how they're dealing with the problem and then come back and build something. I, I really like that you rephrased what I said from poverty and suffering to something more positive because I agree that I'm sure they have some of the happiest people on the planet in those regions of India. Um, one thing I want to ask is if someone's looking to, I also like that you said everybody should do this just to get, you know, build yourself up as well as help out. If somebody is looking to go on a path like this, where should they be researching? What resources do they go to? How do they apply? What does that look like? Yeah. I mean, you know, if you Google, um, top social enterprises, top NGOs, top, you know, uh, agriculture startups in India, you'll get a list of people. Just go and, you know, work there is what I would say, especially when you're a young person. I mean, uh, I, I, so I got paid 15,000 rupees for three, three years of my work there, right? 15,000 rupees a month when my earlier, you know, uh, job that I left was uh, maybe like, you know, uh, at least uh, 10 times that. I don't know. I think probably slightly more than that. But basically, if you disconnect that and say this is a learning experience and the value of that learning is invaluable, right? Even if it's for a year or a year or, you know, a couple of, a year and a half, all of these companies have a lot of on the ground work happening, right? So if you focus on say, I am really going to understand and apprentice with the problem, 
then you come with it with that perspective. And you know, everybody's willing to take, I mean, worst case interns, right? But you know, everybody's willing to take young, bright people at some level of uh, uh, this thing. The issue becomes if you say that, you know, I want to be the leader in this organization from day one, that's when you don't get that full experience. It's, it's about disconnecting that who you want to be five years from now from your learning experience today. It's like trusting the process of saying, like my first three months at that at Beerbo, I stood outside temples and gave pamphlets to kids to say, please come in, you know, uh, give, uh, join our vocational school. People would take my pamphlet, throw it on the ground, right? And it's a humbling experience, but it also, it also then you, you break out a shell, you have conversations with people. Then I'm an extreme introvert who had to do these things, which really was an unparalleled learning experience. So when I say, you know, uh, I think finding the avenues is much easier. I think the most and more important thing is to sort of, in your mind, accept uh, that I'm willing to do the dirty work because I, I know that's how, that's the way you learn. Like otherwise, how do you learn, you know, what is happening on the ground in rural India uh, other than going into the rural India and living and working and, you know, um, and, you know, I mean, I used to, I used to use, I like to use the Hindi phrase, like, you know, if you don't put jute pekichar, which is like, if you don't have mud in your shoes, then how will you even understand what is happening? When you were in that moment, uh, was it, were you able to have this perspective all the time? Because when, when someone took your pamphlet and threw it on the ground, were you like, what did I, what, did I make a mistake? Like, is, is this the right decision? Oh, did you have experiences like that? Yeah, I mean, in hindsight is always 2020. It was brutal. It was brutal in the, in the moment. So I, I think it's the own, what helped me is I'm, I'm, I'm a stubborn person. So I, 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 it's not about someone that I will, uh, you know, um, I will push through and solve a problem there and there, but I will keep at something. So, um, and in, during the moment, I felt it a lot of times. I mean, when my friends, and I would go visit my friends in Bombay and then they would be living the life. And I was like, what is happening in my life? I didn't have this, you know, uh, like a bookshelf or this background that time. I used to live in, you know, very uh, crappy places. So I, you, you feel it, but it, it is again, you know, if you disconnect and say, okay, it's, it's a year's, you know, adventure and I need to do the year's adventure. And, that's why some of these fellowships, by the way, if young if, if someone is listening to it in colleges these days, the Teach for India Fellowship, the Gandhi Fellowship, um, there's a couple of others, I think, are good other, other structured ways to do this because then you are fixed for a two-year timeline. It's painful those two years, but you learn during those two years and, you know, and they structure it some way so that it's not, you know, you figuring out the pamphlets and throwing, but they'll structure it in some way. So I would say if, if you fix it, it as, it's like a course that I'm doing, like a learning course for apprenticing with India, I think it's, it becomes easier, what I'd say, but it's, 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 uh, but expect a lot of pain. That, that I think is really helpful because it's not all rosy. It's, it's tough. I'm sure there was some going to the bathroom and not some, some of the cleanest places. So I think that's, that's really helpful for people to learn. And I want to ask you, so soon after that experience, you guys formed Kathy because of the issues that you saw with the farmers. And just as a, as a knowledge for me and, and for the listeners, you know, we all know that there's so much farmer suicide and there's, there's so much shit that goes on with farmers. Half of the Uber drivers and Ola drivers that I ask, what was your previous career? They were like farming, but I left because it sucked. And, and this is much better. What are, the, what are the challenges that farmers face in India? Yeah, I mean, what's not a challenge, right? I mean, there's, everything is a challenge in farming, but... We like to think about it in terms of sort of tiers of farmers and the, uh, see uh, farming in general 
there's parts of farming in india which is really really good as well you know i mean you know that's why you have all the you know agri tech startups coming up why there's so much technology coming in there's you know so many young people now who've done it careers want to get into farming not just you know i mean uh, so farming is also good in india so it's, i would i would start with that but if, so there's basically 90 million um, farming households in india right and uh, so two th two thirds of them like about 62 million i think own less than 2.5 acres of land and so um, so so that's the majority which we focus on so there are people the people that we you know um, try to live with understand and you know sort of solve problems for so problems for them if you want to look at it at a macro level is that um, is for those 62 million people uh, their average income in a year including their land maybe they have a buffalo maybe they do some daily wage work and they go and work in another farm per you know uh, per month is around 4000 rupees and you know the average expenditure of their household is about 6000 rupees so uh, so basic basically um, so they have one asset which is the land and maybe they have a small asset which is the buffalo you know i mean but basically it loses money every year and on average it loses money every year if you look at their entire expenditure some of it goes away doesn't get counted for because they do labor and all of that but they lose money every year and it's very high risk it's about 10 to agriculture risk is about 10 to 12 percent every year and climate change i think has taken it to about 20 25 percent so you to think about another way if you if you were for example someone who's invested in stock and you could only own one stock and that stock lost money every year and you couldn't sell it i mean if you sell it that's that's the only thing you have so you wouldn't want to sell that one stock that you have and you so that's the situation that those 62 million households are living in. so basically i like to think about it in the terms of that we need to basically get those uh, get those farmers you know more assets more productive assets increase obviously you need to increase the productivity of this asset but you need to diversification uh, basically you need to you know build them a portfolio rather than having one really bad stock right so uh, i would say that, that's and to do that yeah you can talk about the problems from inputs to market to training to all of that but that's where it, it is they are they basically stuck with that one bad stock which really doesn't take them anywhere that's why they sometimes sell it and go and become an uber driver because that's a better thing to do than hold on to this that is my family has been holding on and it's getting worse every year I think that's a that's a very cool way of of thinking about it. They're they're stuck with one thing, and if a rainy season comes, if if the market dries up, they get screwed. Um, and and so you guys are building green homes, and you're doing all the services that are, that surround that for farmers, like loans and banking and you know technology services. That's all incredible. But when you're starting, right? You just left this vocational school. You were getting fifteen thousand rupees a month which is barely, you know, in a, in a city, you can't live on that. How did you have the capital and the time to get started, right? Because building green homes, you have to test it. You have to make sure it works before you give it to these people. How did you create that time for yourself to actually start building it with your co-founders? Yeah, so, um, so we have four co-founders and, you know, uh, we have, and uh, you, all of us have, uh, the others also have unique stories. You should at some point, you know, in, interact with them. But so me and Somya, you know, we used to work at that vocational school. So we both got out of it, vocational training company. And we said, okay, we want to do something. Satya and Ayush, our other two co-founders actually ran another agriculture startup. They were farmers themselves. They did farming themselves. We all came together at a time where we felt that uh, all of the stuff that we were doing wasn't really creating depth of impact for farmers. So we said, hey, we need to figure something out. 
And the first six months was sort of a mini apprenticeship again with that problem. So we didn't do anything. We sort of, you know, um, um, we talked to a thousand farmers over six months. We went and lived in villages. We talked to farmers. We talked to farmers on the phone. We went to a few different states and really understood the problem, you know, a lot more. And then when we had this idea of saying, okay, this is the solution that can help, uh, we started, you know, uh, falling on our network. So um, one specific network that really helped us start up is Satya and I went to a fellowship called the Acumen Fellowship, which is a fellowship for social entrepreneurs who, you know, um, uh, it's a leadership fellowship. So that network uh, helped us raise initial, a small grant, uh, which helped us do that initial R&D and, you know, and put together the first uh, prototype in place. And then, and then, and then that traction helped us get, you know, I think the first couple of years, I think first almost three years, we survived on business plan competitions uh, and, uh, you know, and accelerator programs. I think, you know, uh, we applied to, I think, 90 of them and got maybe, you know, like 10 of them. So that helped us in the first two to three years. That's why we are. Wow. And, and sorry, this is just a silly question that, that I have. What, what is a fellowship and, and how do you get into one of those? Yeah, this, a fellowship is basically, you know, I mean, uh, another word for some sort of structured program, right? It could be an MBA, you know, uh, I mean, it would be, a, you know, a learning fellowship. It could be something that is, you know, on ground, like, you know, a sort of, a, you know, on ground learning. But the Acumen Fellowship specifically is something for, you know, if you're somebody who's working in solving problems for rural India and, you know, are, are alleviating rural poverty and you have a leadership challenge, like, for example, You've been doing it on your own and now you're starting to build an organization maybe you're running a small ngo and now you want to scale and you know maybe uh, you know you're a big organization and now you have to downsize because you're changing you're pivoting all of those right so it's a it's a fellowship primarily for that it's like an executive mba program uh, it's uh, you know you apply to it every year they take about 20 people and then they do these um, five uh, one week training programs where they really you know, coach you on a lot of leadership training, leadership training. And then you also get the network because there's a lot, a lot of other entrepreneurs who are working on the same problems. They sometimes have opportunities for funding and all of that. Wow. That's, that's a really interesting avenue. I actually haven't heard too much about fellowships, so that's really cool. And at one of those business plan competitions, and, and I, I watched one of your videos at the UC Berkeley uh, business competition, which I think, you know, your, your presentation with your co-founder was amazing. Um, I want to ask, is that, is that, um, is it tough to go through those kind of experiences, you know, constantly applying, you said you went to 90, but you only got a few that, that must take up so much of your time, right? So how did you prioritize between actually getting on the ground and getting the work done and putting the time into actually getting funding? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, I wouldn't recommend it as a main strategy, but I would definitely recommend it for the time when your idea is an idea, like, you know, it's not something, if something is not on the ground, those are the best avenues for you to, I mean, uh, and I felt there were good avenues for you to raise money because there's not a lot of pressure on traction. There's pressure on the idea, on the team and all of those things, right? And it's also a lot of good experience for you to refine the idea because every time you get different kinds of feedback and, you know, all of these are, it's, it's not like, a, you know, I mean, individual angel who gives you, you know, maybe their individual perspective. It's like a lot of, you know, structured programs. So you're putting together a lot of things. So you learn that. The reason we did that is, is more than others is just because Sonia and I both went to business school while, you know, while we were building KT. So, uh, which is another st story altogether, but then it became much easier because when you're, you know, not in India, the only thing you can do is fundraising. Obviously I did a lot of, you know, individual and, you know, sort of uh, actually networking for fundraising and some, some part of the strategy, but a big chunk of my work was, it's almost guilt to say, um, you know, uh, 
uh, Satya, who's doing the operations on the ground, where like you know we sort of abandoned him. So it was like basically, how many can I apply today? Like it was almost like that. So that's why we got uh, we went through a lot because there's nothing I couldn't do a lot more while being away from the ground. That that makes a lot of sense. And I, and I saw you went to Colombia. So that um, you know IIT Colombia. That that's a very great combination. And I would love to get into that. But I, I would rather ask you a few questions about productivity, right? Um, I want to ask you about work-life balance. This is something that's really interesting. You know, at your UC Berkeley um, presentation, you were you were saying I want to reach a million farmers by 2025, and I'd I'd love to know if that goal has changed or has even increased. And when you have that huge goal, and there's so much that you have to do in a day, how do you make sure that you're optimizing it? For example, you said you used to work 12 hours or long days and probably a lot of days out of the week. How are you optimizing that? How many, how many hours are you working a day and how do you make sure that you're productive in those hours? Yeah, I, I used to work um, 90 hour days, 90 hour weeks, I'm sorry, 90 hour weeks, right? Um, and uh, now I probably work 50. So, it's, it's, so that's, Sort of a big change in terms of while our work has gotten more right overall we moved ahead from when i was in uh, business school i definitely did 90 to 100 because i used to go to school and work full-time you know um, uh, work on this right so um i would say that one in terms of work-life balance is i'll come back to what i said before is that your mask is more putting on your mask first is more important than you know um assisting others so if you don't exist the 100 year vision doesn't exist. And especially at this stage, like, you know, maybe 10 years from now, Katie has, you know, um, Katie has a bigger team and then, you know, that external CEO, then it's not essential for us to drive this right now. But for example, for right now, um, if the four of us basically lose motivation or don't, you know, burn out, then there's no one else who's, who will do this, right? You know, and there's the 100 year vision is gone. So it started from there. The work-life balance for me started from there to say that, and and just to uh, just in terms of you know uh, being honest as well, I mean sharing uh, sort of background. I did this whole cycle one time before, right? When I worked at that earlier organization, I worked five years, and I, there I used to work seven days a week, you know, uh, twelve hours maybe, you know, and just push through. And I burnt out in one way, you know. Um, the reason Katie started is because I burnt out too much there, and then I needed to take a break, and then I was like, okay, there's a new idea that comes in, right? So if five years is my timeline. For burning out, then I need to extend that to 50. Then how does that work out? So that's that one of the one of the requirements for work life balance. And that's what I would say to a lot of people to ask themselves, are you on a sustainable path? And because what you need to be doing is something, if not 50, at least 10 years, not like two to three years of a, a brilliant spark that it burns and you know uh, and, and then you know and then dies out. What you need is a sort of sustaining marathon, especially in our sector. These are problems that are going to be long-term, right? And the other thing that I realized once I started doing it, it started because of that. And once I started doing it, and this year taught us all of that, right? You know, that there was no blur between work and life, and then you were doing work, all working too much. When I started doing it, what I realized was that I was getting done what I would do in maybe like 80 hours a day a week, in 50 hours a week or 40 hours a week. If I was, you know, um, if I had that constraint, a lot of the times you work more hours because you don't set internal constraints for yourself to say, I need to get this done, right? It's not even like, you know, I'm slacking off, but you, work always fills the time that you have. And sometimes you're like, you know, your prioritization gets better. Like, you know, I know what are the things I want to spend time on, what are the things I don't want to spend time on. In Katie, 
now i know for example i used to maybe waste time in you know fundraising but when i have limited time i'm like you know we are okay on fundraising right now so let's focus on building the organization right so it actually when you limit your time uh, it actually helped work much more because i was much more productive but also i was prioritizing the right things i was not doing everything under the sun because i said i only have 50 hours to work maximum so i can only do these three things and i i was better at delegating because now i know i know before it was always that tendency to say i need to do everything myself now that like, i don't have 50 hours so what can i do the only option you have is tell someone else to do it. so i think overall it helped I, I, i'm not saying that we don't have long uh, sometimes sprint weeks because there's sometimes a deadline and you push through it but always focus on that long term sustainability and if you set constraints on yourself i think you become automatically more productive and I, I just want to ask, when you were in those 90 weeks, and by the way, I completely agree with you on prioritization and all this. When you were in those 90-day weeks, uh, what did it feel like? Like, what did your body feel like? You know, were you sleeping well? What, what was that experience? I mean, not good. I, I mean, I was, I was over-caffeinating uh, all the time. So, I was, you know, I was always on, on edge. And, uh, you know, it, 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 there's a lot of tiredness. And there, there would also be these... Um, when you work a lot, I mean, uh, to that level, right? You also, when you um, when you do the you know sort of downtime, you you also need to overdo it because, for example, you know, if you're you know, um, there will always be these spurts in between where I was like, I need to take a, you know a couple of days off. I'm like, you know, I'm gone, which is not the best place to win. What you what your organization and your team also needs is for you to be available, you know, consistently. Like the consistency is what's something that I was missing because of my health or whether it's by mind space or mental health because i was not focusing on mental health at all so there would always be these times where i would like shut off from the world and that's not good for building an organization what people look to is consistency consistency is what people are happy with not someone who's brilliant you know uh, uh, at once and then you suddenly you know uh, gets gets lost you know uh, for a few days after that right so i think for me overall that have mental health i would say is is much better physical health I mean, you know, uh, is better because I started exercising, so I don't know what what part of part of it is is that. But mental health definitely is much much better than that, you know, than those ninety hour weeks. I I very 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 much love that, and I think we're coming to the conclusion. I just want to ask you a few quick fire questions. You don't have to answer them quickly, but one of them is, Kitty is a nonprofit, so that means all the money goes back into the business, and you get a salary. Uh, you know, you, since you're from IIT and Columbia Business School, you could probably be making millions of dollars in an investment banking job. I don't know your salary, obviously, but what is your thought process with money and, and getting rich? How does that apply to you? Yeah, I mean, uh, a large part of that um, got defined by living five fifteen thousand rupee, you know, uh, for a few years, right? Uh, I guess um, in the beginning it was I didn't need it because I was young, and then. I didn't have it for so long, then it didn't become, and, and then it sort of didn't become a necessity. So today I obviously, you know, make much more than, you know, 50,000 rupees a month. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I have a basic, you know, I have a comfortable life. I, I don't have things to complain. Uh, you know, I can, you know, I have some, you know, I don't have extremely good savings for the future, but I, I guess that gets built over time. But when I look at, uh, look at it overall, I feel like, you know, um, a couple of things. One is that, if I had to go back to not 15,000, but let's say I know more frugal life, I could still do it because I don't have a lot of things that got formed when I was young to say, okay, these are the minimum things that I need in my life, right? Number one is that. And second is that 
I also feel like, you know, I still have that confidence which I had because of that first few conversations I had when I was 21, that if I do read money, I can get it if I need it. Like even now, you know, and you know, I am so privileged that I have these two degrees that I, I can, you know, do some sort of consulting and get some basic amount of money. I will never make probably the, you know, millions of dollars because I've not set myself up for that career path right now, but I'm completely okay with that is what, you know, what I am, I am at right now. That, that's so powerful. And, and I, I've seen from your thinking through this conversation, there is always a, if the worst happens, I can do this. And I love that because there's a lot of philosophers like Seneca who talk about that, that kind of stuff. So I think that's incredible. The last question is, because I know you have to run, is do you use social media? And this is just something that I love to ask everybody who comes on. Um, uh, it's social media has been, I've been, you know, continuously removing it from my life for the last five years. The only one that I have right now is WhatsApp, which is, you know, social media communication somewhere in between, which is an essential for work, uh, but it also takes up time. And I have a, uh, you know, love hate relationship since college with Reddit. So I, I download it every few days and delete it two hours later. So I think that's my, that's the thing that I still have a kick. But Facebook, Instagram, you know, um, uh, Twitter, all of those I've, I've gotten off, gone off. I, I love Reddit too. I think Reddit is, is my poison. But uh, Kashik, you know, I, I honestly loved this interview so much. I truly took away so much. And I know a lot of people who are looking to get into social work and enterprises and be, becoming an entrepreneur in general can take away so much from your productivity habits to your story of living where the issue was. So I just want to say thank you so much. Thank you for organizing this. This is, this is uh, uh, you know, fun. So uh, I hope uh, we can stay in touch and do this again sometime. Definitely. And thank you to everybody for listening. See you all in the next one.